Welcome to Cardboard Conjecture. We're a podcast about board games where we have opinions and conclusions formed on the basis of incomplete information. This episode of Cardboard Conjecture is brought to you by these great Saskatoon businesses. Amazing Stories Comics on 8th Street, Dragon's Den Games on 8th Street, and Breakout Escape Rooms on Faithful Avenue. How's it going, eh? This is What You've Been Playing Wednesday, and this is a special weekly episode where a bunch of us content creators get to come together and talk about the games that we've been playing. And on this episode are... Of Dice and Men. Definitely a board game podcast. The Rat Hole. Mozart Games. Dice and Dragons, The Meeple Dungeon, and Cardboard Conjecture. And please, take the time to check out the show notes to the links to the What You've Been Playing Wednesday cast. And as always, sit back, have a coffee or tea, and enjoy. Hi there, Chad here from Of Dice and Men, and this is What You've Been Playing Wednesdays, where we talk about, well, what we've been playing. I took a day off last week to celebrate my birthday with one of my most anticipated games in a long time, Townsfolk Tussle. Townsfolk Tussle is a recently delivered Kickstarter board game produced by Panic Roll. Players find themselves as one of a team of vigilantes tasked with defending Eureka Springs after the resident sheriff mysteriously passes away. Over the course of four bosses, the players will do their best to out-equip, outmaneuver, and outsmart each ruffian revealed during play. One of the reasons Townfolk Tussle caught my eye was a striking similarity to one of my other favorite games, Kingdom Death Monster. That might raise a few red flags for some people. KDM is very divisive in its presentation and content. That, however, is where Townsfolk Tussle shines, providing a much more accessible experience in both its vintage cartoon art style and its reduced complexity. Townsfolk Tussle, like Kingdom Death Monster, is a boss battler. It's the type of game where your encounters are against a single, large, dominating, imposing character that requires teamwork and tactics to take down. The game has reduced the boss battling experience to a distilled format, leaving all the fun aspects and removing some of the more tedious campaign management that similar games contain. A round of Townsfolk Tussle starts with each player experiencing a town event. These are mostly random, mostly hilarious activities that can both improve and impede your progress in new and interesting ways. Perhaps your character gets ravenously hungry and eats everyone else's consumable items without permission. Or maybe you cross old Johnny who could really use a hand. If you give him one of your weapons, he might give you a rare item back. There are even secret events, cards you can't share with your teammates until a specific trigger occurs. The deck of town events, just like most of the other decks in the game, is full of content, and it'll be quite a while before you see the same card twice. Once those events are resolved, the town peddler appears with her cart of goods. The cart is stocked with 10 new items at the start of each round and provide the armor, weapons, and accessories you'll need to stand a chance against the upcoming bad guy. Most characters also have their own abilities that can be used during this phase. Quintus can steal a low-cost item, the Bloopsy twins, being the buskers of the group, get a discount on instruments, and Yancey the blacksmith can craft weapons for the team. Again, the stack of available items is huge, allowing for some pretty diverse strategies. 
When everyone is done buying items, we move on to the fight phase. The next ruffian in the list of four is revealed. We take their large placard out of the box and set up the terrain as instructed. Each ruffian also has their own AI deck, giving their actions a unique personality to stand out from the rest. In addition, depending on how far into the game you are, each bad guy may gain a new skill, giving each of the dozen or so bosses four different configurations based on one they've revealed. With the ruffian and your characters on the board, whether you use the full-color standees or the high-quality minis is up to you, the fight begins. The ruffian resolves an AI card in a very similar manner as a kingdom death monster boss, and then players take turns using their movement and action points to position, attack, and interact with terrain in a bid to reduce their target down to zero health points. But it's not quite as cut and dry as that. The boss has certain triggers on their health bar that will allow them to take an immediate turn once their points hit that threshold, adding another interesting wrinkle to the tactics of the game. In addition, each ruffian has a weakness that can be exposed based on certain conditions, making the game quite dynamic in its play. Assuming you get to the end of the fight with at least one living character, everyone will get rewarded, you'll get some loot from the boss you just dealt with, and we start another town event phase. Repeat that four times, and you have the entirety of the Townsfolk Tuscal experience. It has a lot of the same DNA as Kingdom Death Monster, but in a 3-hour package as opposed to a 40-hour campaign, and in a much more approachable rule set wrapped in a much more friendly vintage cartoon theme. A nice touch that Townsfolk Tussle has is the addition of feats of metal, or battle goals if you prefer the Gloomhaven term. These player-specific goals will help guide the game as you look at the list of available items and wonder what you should do. Goals range from the buying-oriented phase items, such as ending the round with no money or finishing the fight with no pants on, to the more battle-oriented tasks like ending a turn 10 spaces away from the ruffian or doing 3 damage. Completing a goal will give you an immediate boost of either cash or a temporary stat increase, and the goals count towards your overall impressiveness score. Going into the fourth fight, the player who has the highest medal score will be crowned a sheriff and get a ruffian-specific item to use during the final battle, but they're also turned into a game-ending condition. If they die, the game is over. I really appreciate how these little cards add so much direction to the game, perhaps nudging you in the direction of a character build you might not have otherwise considered. One of my favorite parts of Townsfolk Tussle is the theme. Not only does it have a wonderful aesthetic to it, reminiscent of that retro cartoon style recently employed by the video game Cuphead, but the theme of each ruffian you come across is fully realized through their AI cards. My favorite example of this is Bort Davis, who isn't a villain in the classical sense, but rather a tourist that happened upon Eureka Falls and damages you with his camera flash, pointy souvenirs, and photo albums. Another example is the straw man, which in one attack stuck a hole down one of our character's shirts, forcing them to hop around the field three spaces at a time for the rest of the fight. I'm a big fan of board games that realize their theme through mechanics, and Townsfolk Tussle has that in spades. That said, there are a few things that Kingdom Death Monster has that aren't present in Townsfolk Tussle. Because Townsfolk Tussle is designed as a one-off game, there's no sense of persistence or campaign evolution between games, one aspect that Kingdom Death Monster does really well. This is both a blessing and a curse, since if you're anything like me, scheduling a campaign game has been next to impossible the last year or two, so Townsfolk Tussle should be easier to table. Kingdom Death Monster is also just bigger. There's more fine details when it comes to equipped gear, combat hit locations, injuries, conditions, monster variability, and other things that really extend the replayability of the game. Townsfolk Tussle has quite a bit of content, so its experience shouldn't be going stale anytime soon, but the essence of Townfolk Tussle will be the same every single time you play. It's always town event, buy items, fight, repeat.
Townsfolk Tussle does a great job of keeping most of the things that make Kingdom Death Monster great and reducing it to a much more easily consumed portion, but in doing so it loses a bit of the epicness that Kingdom Death Monster maintains. Townsfolk Tussle was a game I was very hyped to receive, and I'm glad to say it survived my elevated expectations for it. It creates a wonderful tactical boss battling experience that before was restricted to epic 40-hour campaigns drenched in dark theme, but now can be taught and played in about three hours with a retro cartoon appeal. I should mention Townsfolk Tussle isn't completely devoid of the dark theme. Some of the items in AI cards might tend towards the not-so-innocent side. As an example, one of the rewards for defeating Bort is, well, his face, which you can equip on your head. Certainly not quite as family-friendly as the box art might imply. Well, that's what I've been playing lately. We've also recently recorded a few podcast episodes since we spoke last. Check out Of Dice and Men on whatever podcatcher you use, and you can hear our latest episode where we pontificate about production quality in board games. Have a great week. Hi, I'm Royce Calverly from the Definitely a Board Game podcast, a podcast definitely about board games except when it isn't, and I'm flying solo today. But that makes sense, because we just dropped episode 48 all about solo games, and I'm going to talk about a solo game here today. The game I want to talk about this week is Keep Up the Fire, The Boxer Rebellion, by designer John Welch and published by Worthington Publishing. As the title suggests, Keep Up the Fire is set during the Boxer Rebellion. Uh, this was a series of uprisings that occurred between 1899 and 1901. Basically, a group of Chinese martial artists known as the Boxers decided that the foreign powers and Christian missionaries had too much influence and were just expanding too quickly into China. Initially acting on their own, they were attempting to root out the influence of, the, of these foreign invaders. They were attempting to push back the governments as well as to reverse the missionary actions of the Christian missionaries, even though that often resulted in the Chinese peoples being affected as well. The government was initially neutral, but eventually, under the direction of Empress Dowager Shishi, uh, they issued an edict in support of the boxers, and they directed the army to help the boxers repulse the foreign invaders. The foreign invaders had banded together in what became known as the Eight-Nation Alliance. It consisted of Britain, Russia, Japan, France, Germany, the U.S., Italy, and Austria-Hungary. And this alliance began to withdraw from China. One of the big resistance points was in Beijing, in the, what was called the Legation Quarters. And this is where a lot of the uh, Eight-Nation Alliance uh, dignitaries lived in their families. So, a mixed force of Alliance soldiers basically came to this legation quarter and they were going to hold off the Boxer and the Quinn forces until a relief force could arrive from Tianjin to escort the dignitaries and their families out of the quarter and basically out of China. This holding action is the basis for Keep Up the Fire. In this game, you're fighting basically two actions. One is the siege action, where you're fighting to hold out against the Chinese forces. And the other action, you are acting as the relief force and you're fighting your way against the ambush forces from Tianjin to Beijing so that you can get there in time to help these people who have been besieged. If you survive the siege, 
and your relief force gets to Beijing in time, you win. It's that simple. If either of those fail to happen, you're going to lose. And there's various levels of loss or various levels of win. Look, I love games that are based on history, especially Chinese history, which has a very uh, close, it's very close to my heart. And I couldn't wait to see how this game would represent such a tumultuous time. And I'm happy to say that John did a great job. You really feel you are on the edge of being overrun for the entire game. The siege is, it's tough. You, you really have to fight off those forces constantly. It's a constant struggle just to stay alive. To get your relief force down is not easy either. You're constantly pulling out of ambush forces. You're constantly having to fight your way through. The card-based event system does a great job of representing the political back and forth that affected the various forces, either in favor of the Chinese forces or in favor of the Eight-Nation Alliance, depending on what the politicians were able to do. The action point and dice combat system is simple, but it includes really difficult choices, and it really is an excellent way to represent this battle without it getting bogged down in mechanisms. I especially like that you could take that event deck and you could play it in random order so that, you know, you're not sure what's going to happen or all the cards are numbered and you can actually play them in order in their proper historical order. So as they would go through history, you can reproduce it almost exactly. I was initially worried that the theme might be a bit problematic. I mean, this is a very difficult time for China. It is sometimes, especially in a lot of movies and television, it was represented as sort of the heroic Europeans fighting off the invading horde of Chinese, and I was very a little concerned that this game would do that, but I'm happy to say, again, John did a good job with it and was able to present both sides of the conflict from a more neutral historical viewpoint, and I didn't feel that at any point either side was being portrayed as the uh, heroes of the war. It gave both, uh, both sides a little bit of both, if that makes any sense. The production, top-notch. I mean, this is a war game, so it does have chits, but the chits are nice and thick, the cards are really good quality, and the game board is beautiful. It's, it's easy to use, it's well-organized, the art is gorgeous, it really is a really top-notch production. I have one complaint. And my one complaint is simply, while I enjoy the gameplay, I just can't seem to win. The closest I've come is a minor loss where the Alliance held off the besieging forces, but the relief force never arrived, so the Alliance had to sue for peace under Empress Dowager's forces under her terms. Ugh, I just can't do it. I can't seem to win. All right. If this sounds like something you're interested in, I highly recommend it. It's a really engaging, high-quality solo wargame experience. I can't recommend it enough. That's Keep Up the Fire, The Boxer Rebellion. If you want to hear about some other great solo games, check out episode 48 of Definitely a Board Game Podcast. Uh, just dropped yesterday, and we talk about a lot of different solo games. And I'll see you next week on What You've Been Playing Wednesday. Have a great week, everybody. What's up, Internet? My name is Paparazzo Dave Chapman. I'm the lead reviewer for the Rathole.ca, a co-host on The Legend of the Traveling Tortoise, and I'm super excited to be back on What You've Been Playing Wednesday. With things beginning to normalize, I've been able to get in some really epic game days recently, 
And with February being such a great time for two-player games, I figured that's a great place for us to start. So one of my most played games recently has been Homeworlds from Looney Labs. Uh, Homeworlds was one of the first games created with Andy Looney's Pyramids, and to date it remains one of, if not the, most complex game in the series. The game is an abstract 4X game that came before 4X games were really a thing. Um, players are going to build a fleet of ships to traverse the stars and destroy their opponent's homeworld. It's unique uh, as there's no set positioning for anything in the play area. Uh, somewhere I saw a comment that uh, the poster loved playing this in restaurants since you can actually play it just around everything else on the table, your plate, your drinks, your cutlery, everything. While it's extremely challenging to master, once this game clicks home for you, it is sure to become one of the most satisfying abstract games you will ever play. When you're learning it, don't be afraid to just walk away and try again later if that's what you need to do. I promise you, it is worth it. We'll eventually be posting a Looney Saturday feature on Homeworlds, uh, but if you don't want to wait for that, it's included in the Pyramid Arcade game or individually packaged as part of the Pyramid Quartet series of games. The next two-player game I tackled was an old copy of GMT's Battle Lines that my friend Scott had acquired while he was living in Australia years ago. There's a row of pawns uh, between the two players, and your goal is to develop a three-card poker hand under each of those pawns uh, and either capture th three pawns that are adjacent to each other or five pawns in total. You only win a given pawn when both players have played all three of their cards at that location or when all the cards on the table show that your three cards at that pawn are impossible to beat physically with another hand. As long as you have a cheat sheet or a simply you know poker hands, this is an incredibly quick to learn and easy to play game. It's a perfect filler game if you're, say, the first two players of a game night. I had a ton of fun. Um, this is one that Scott has kept around and brought out to play again and again for years on years. After that was Pocket Paragons from Solus Game Studios. Now, I don't have a full copy of Pocket Paragons, just a handful of two-character, quote-unquote, dual sets. Uh, in a full game, you would usually create a team of three different characters and have a tournament-style battle. When one character is defeated, the next steps in to continue the battle. Uh, we obviously just played 1v1, but that didn't make things any less fun. Each character is completely unique with their own play style, this is even more impressive given that a character only has eight to nine cards in total to battle with. Both players are going to choose a card, play it face down, and then reveal and resolve them at the same time. The used cards are then, again, usually discarded until a rest card is played. Uh, but if your opponent can anticipate when you're going to rest, that they can actually turn around and execute you in one hit. This is another fast game that's heavy on fun, light on rules. Solus Game Studios has their own characters, uh, but has been also been working with a bunch of other IPs like Agus, which is a uh, game of combining robots, which is a ton of fun. 
finally the last two-player game I played. Uh, I actually didn't play it as a two-player game. Uh, Scyther Gaming has a game called Dig. It's a push-your-luck memory game. Uh, the game starts with 11 piles of four buried cards. Each player starts with only a fork and spoon card, which allows them to peek at the top card of any pile and then take any card they have previously peeked at on their subsequent turns. Eventually, a player can upgrade their tools uh, to give them the ability to take more cards, but then they also lose the ability to peek at those cards first. Each card you take is going to be worth $1, $3, or $5, unless that card is a bomb. If you reveal a bomb, it will wipe out every card you have taken up until that point. You can actually combine the two-player set of these cards to play with three, four, five, or six players uh, if you combine two or three of these decks, which makes it extra fun, extra uh, flexible in how you play it. Um, the Rattle.ca primarily puts out written content, so our YouTube channel was never really more than a storage medium for us. But over the last while, we've been doing more video reviews, more live interviews, as well as our weekly miniature painting series, Slinging Paint. So it's time we started promoting that channel more and would greatly appreciate some new subscribers. I won't even ask you to turn on the notifications unless you really want. Uh, since we don't have a marketable URL yet, you can find our YouTube channel and all of our social media at Linktree, that's L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash therathole.ca. Thanks for listening, and until next time, good gaming, and goodbye. Hey everybody, my name is Chris Morris from Mozart Games and I am back again with Cardboard Conjecture to talk about what you've been playing Wednesday. You can find me on Twitter as SpiderMo, that's spider with a Y, if you like what you hear and want to give me a follow for board game thoughts, my ongoing challenges as a designer, and a little bit of me complaining about random things. Now this week, I want to talk about nostalgia. It's a powerful emotion. It tugs on our heartstrings and brings back memories of a simpler time. When I think back to my childhood, there are three franchises that I absolutely loved, and I had a ton of fun collecting, playing, and watching. Star Wars, Masters of the Universe, and sandwiched between them both was G.I. Joe. I had a pile of action figures and vehicles when I was a kid, and my brother and I spent hours playing with them and recreating scenes from the cartoons and comic books. The toys are long gone, but the memories remain. Well, now myself and others can recreate some of those memories in the new deck-building game from Renegade Games and TC Petty, conveniently named the G.I. Joe Deck-Building Game. In this game, players take on the roles of the G.I. Joe team, trying to prevent Cobra from whatever evil plans they have up their sleeves. Each player will choose an iconic leader with a special ability to use throughout the game, and add that character to a deck of basic cards. Like many deck builders, there is a central market that players can purchase cards from throughout the game to upgrade their decks with new Joes, gear, and utility cards to help them. Also at the start of the game, players will choose which mission Cobra is attempting to accomplish during the game. There are two included in the base game, 
but don't let that scare you as each mission is made up of a deck of cards with different objectives that the players must try to stop Cobra from achieving. The mission deck is broken up into three acts, and each act has three objectives in it, so you'll see some different things each game you play. Each objective will have one or two skills that the Joes must try to match in order to uh, roll dice to hit the target number. Many of these objectives will also bring out iconic villains with their own abilities that Joes must try to defeat, like the Baroness, Storm Shadow, or even Cobra Commander. Each of these officers will change how the game plays, and if a couple of them are out at the same time, things can get hairy very quickly. Players have to be careful when trying to accomplish these objectives, as they only have one chance to defeat them, and there are rewards or penalties depending on the result. Plus, to make matters worse, each objective will get some complication cards added to them. These complications could include new side missions that players need to accomplish on their next turn, more officers joining the battle, or possibly increasing the difficulty of the current objective. At first, things may seem pretty calm, but as Cobra's machinations start to get rolling, the Joe team is constantly trying to put out fires and sending their team members to as many missions as possible. Now, speaking of sending Joes on missions, one of the cool things in this game is the inclusion of vehicles that players must buy from the market to add to their team hangar. Undeniably one of the best parts about the toy line were the vehicles that kids could buy. Now, who could forget things like the Vamp Jeep, the Ram motorcycle, or the Tomahawk helicopter? Well, they're all included in the game, and several more, and they're needed in order to go on missions in the game. All players have access to them, and they will determine how many Joes can go on a mission and what special abilities, if any, are granted to the team. With the exception of the vamp, used vehicles will then go into players' discard piles after they are used, and they must be cycled through in order to gain access to them again. So players must work together to decide when the best time is to use a specific vehicle. And speaking of working together, when a player starts a mission, they can ask other players to join them by contributing one or more Joes from their hand to the battle in order to increase the team's chances of winning a crucial objective or to defeat one of the officers. However, used cards that players have will go into their owning player's discard pile, so they'll be weakening their own hand on their following turn by doing so. There are ways to counter this, but overall players will need to decide when they need to work together or if they can do it alone. Once a team is assembled, the active player will collect the number of dice that all Joes contribute and try to roll a number of successes to beat the mission at hand. There's a 50-50 chance of success on the dice, but one side has a double success, and those will be needed more often than not in order to succeed. I've had times when a mission needed four successes and the active player rolled 10 or more dice and still managed to fail, helping Cobra move their plan forward. There are cards that can mitigate these failures, but, players uh, but only players who have contributed at least one Joe to the battle can play those cards. Once a player has either decided to go on a mission or pass that part of the round, they can, use th they can then use the cards that they have played or in their hand for their recruit value to purchase new cards from the market. Any new cards purchased are added to the top of a player's deck meaning that they'll be drawing those cards immediately on their next turn instead of having to wait to cycle their deck. Also, players can spend recruit points to upgrade their leader to their promoted side, granting new keywords and enhanced abilities. The players win the game if they complete the final mission in the deck, 
but they can lose in a number of different ways. There's a threat meter that is constantly increasing, and if it ever reaches the top, the game ends with Cobra completing their goals. Players can also lose if every card in the market is covered by Cobra cards that appear on a regular basis and must be fought in order to have them removed. And they can also lose if the market deck ever runs out. There's several Cobra events that will remove cards from the market or wipe them out completely, uh, meaning that players have to keep a constant watch on all of these things during the game. Overall, the card art is pretty good with the Joe leaders and the Cobra officers being the best art in the game, especially the upgraded side of the Joe leaders. Hawk, Beachhead, and Stalker are all wonderful cards, but I do question the art on Barbecue, as he doesn't look anything like his character and is probably the worst card art in the game. For the Cobra side, Major Blood doesn't have his iconic eye patch for some reason, but those are all very minor. There's also a few keywords that some of the characters have that are odd choices. Again, picking on Barbecue, who is a firefighter, he gets a vehicle specialty instead of something more thematic like explosives. Also, Cover Girl, a heavily armored vehicle specialist, has explosives and tech, when she probably should have had vehicles and maybe stealth for her undercover abilities. Nothing deal-breaking, but just a few odd choices. There's also several key characters who are missing from the game, like Doc, Blowtorch, Snowjob, Breaker, and Lieutenant Falcon, but I'm sure that the inevitable expansions will include them. Speaking of expansions, I would put money on the first one including a Serpentor mission and or something involving the Dreadnoughts, as both of those are missing from the Cobra side. I imagine that next month Renegade will announce that first expansion during their virtual con. I like the fact that there's a couple of rule changes in the game for solo or two players as well, where you can put a card in a reserve that you have no use for in your current hand, allowing you to add it as an extra card in your following hand, which is a great mechanic. I've played this at uh, one, two, and three players, and I'd have to say it flows best at the lower player counts, but that could have also been because there were two new players in the three-player game that I played, and it dragged a bit. I also recommend watching a how-to-play video or two when learning the game, as even though it's not complicated, the rulebook is an absolute disaster. The rules are spread all over the place, and some are hidden in some weird example sections. There's several symbols on cards that are not explained at all, um, or if they are, I miss them completely. And there's a lot of vague rules on some of the cards as to when they can or cannot be used. In this day and age, I don't understand how these sorts of things get missed by publishers. However, this game is a no-brainer for anybody who grew up in the mid-80s with the G.I. Joe toys and cartoon, as well as anyone who enjoys deck builders in general. Renegade also recently brought out the Power Rangers and Transformers deck builders, and there's also a My Little Pony one in the works, but they all seem to have differences in their gameplay so as not to be carbon copies of each other. I don't know if anyone needs all of them, but certainly if the IP interests you, it's worth looking at for each of these games. Hopefully this lets you know a little bit more about this game and if it might be a worthy addition to your collection. And as they say, knowing is half the battle. Yo, Joe! Once again, I am Chris Morris. Thank you for listening to my thoughts about the G.I. Joe deck-building game from Renegade Games. And if you liked what you heard from me and want to hear or see more, I can be found on Twitter as Spidermo. Thanks again for listening, and may all of your dice rolls be critical successes.
Gamers. I'm Jason. I'm Julie, and together we're Dice and Dragons. And you can find us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram at Dice and Dragons, and on Twitter at Dice and Dragon. And what is it today, Julie? It's what you've been playing Wednesdays. And we've been playing two games this past week. Really? I can't remember the first game. I know we've been playing Arnak, the expansion. Yes, well, I guess it was last week slash this week, but in between the shows, we played Dynamine, and we had our Kickstarter preview that came out the day before this is being released. This is a Canadian-published uh, game. It's published by Nada Games. Hopefully, I'm pronouncing it right. It's <laughs> N-D-E-E-H, so trying to get it right, and designed by Inu Rolak. And the other game, as Julie mentioned, is Lost Ruins of Arnak. We are playing the Expedition Leaders expansion. It is published by Czech Games Edition and designed by Min and Elwin. So why don't we start with the first game, Dynamine, that we did our Kickstarter preview for. So what did you think of that one? Uh, it, um, yeah, it's far. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it wasn't look. Um, it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't my favorite game. I I can understand. Uh, I can see places where people might be interested in uh, in the kind of game. There's a lot of randomness in it to, that made it a little bit frustrating for me. Um, but uh, it's a family game that's fairly easy to play and to teach, uh, which would make it attractive to, you know, families with kids over. It's also for kids over the age of seven or for people gamers over the age of seven so there's not that many games out there that the whole family can play so that's uh definitely a, a positive for it well there are a lot of games out there that the family can play there are not a lot of games out there that the whole family will necessarily want to play and i definitely think that dynamite falls in the category of a game that you can get out on a family game night and you're not going to get too many objections as to if you want to play it uh or not. It's a tile placement game, uh, so you're going to be rolling dice and you're going to be getting construction points based off of a certain value that you get each round. There are also some special abilities that will let you maybe even move around some tiles in your mind uh, or even, uh, you know, try to guess what your role is going to be to score some extra construction points. What you got to do is build the most efficient mine. And the deeper you go, the more veins of jewels that you find, the more points that you're going to score. Then there are some bonus cards as well as some objectives that are going to get you even more points. Now, two players, one of the things that we really liked is the game lists about playing in 35 minutes. And it really does hit that that play, like that, that time. And we've been playing a lot of games that really don't hit their suggested play time. So I do think that this has a nice sweet spot. It's the kind of game you can take out and get multiple plays in rather quickly. So even though there is a lot of randomness, you're not going to have too many hard feelings. No. I think it's enough said about that. Yeah. Solid game. It's currently on Kickstarter. Not the best. Not the worst. Check it out if you're looking for a family game or if you like Between Two Castles and want something that's faster that you will enjoy more maybe. All right, so Lost Ruins of Arnak, the meat of this episode for us expedition leaders. We got it back to the table. It's been a long time. We play a lot of different games. We've both been talking about getting Arnak back. Now we've got asymmetric powers. We've got new temple tracks. We've got new cards, all sorts of stuff going on. What did you think of it? I really liked the new expedition leaders. They were fun. Uh, they added a new dynamic. Uh, I wasn't sure... I'd enjoy playing with the different types of, you know, uh, asymmetric powers, but it was a lot of fun. What did you think of the of that? 
I really liked the leaders. Now, we've each played three of them. There are six in the box, so we don't have a full grasp on all of them. I will say I do potentially see, just with regards to the difficulty of using some of them, like I played the Mystic on my last game, and I did pretty well, but still very hard to use, that there can be some imbalance based on uh, player skill. That being said, I don't think this detracts anything from the game. The new cards were very cool, and I can't see us... Uh, taking them out even if we do decide to play without the expedition leaders if we're playing with new players i really like the new track the uh i didn't like the, the first the lizard temple the monkey one i'm not the biggest fan of i don't like the fact that we don't gain some rewards well as many rewards as we're progressing up the track and i found that that just made the research track a little less interesting in agreed. Opinion. Agreed. I enjoyed. Uh, I enjoyed the the second track the the most. Uh, there's a lot of new cool cards. Um, you know, it's it's just it's a lot of fun. Um, it's one of the competitive games that I do enjoy playing. Uh, I still get frustrated. Uh, you know, the last game we played, I really thought Jason had stolen the game away from me at the last minute because he. Uh, although I made it to the top of the track, the way my my expedition leader worked, it, it took a little bit more time for me to catch back up my resources to be able to uh, buy those uh, point cards at the end, and, and Jason snapped up both. Um, yeah, both the 11 pointers. Which really frustrated me, but in the end, I still beat him by, you know, almost 11 points. So Yeah, I was not doing well with the Mystic. I was not able to exile as much fear as I would have liked. I ended up with eight fear cards at the end of the game. If yeah, able I to... still ended up with three, so it's not a big difference. Yeah. But I could have done a little bit better. You still would have won. I'm just saying yes. I did not play the Mystic as well as I could have. And they're definitely the most challenging one. I really like the Professor a lot. And the Captain was pretty cool. But I need to figure out how to use that extra worker more to, uh, more to your advantage. Well, more to my advantage. When I played him, I found that there was a turn that I just didn't do very well. And having that extra worker wasn't necessarily an advantage or a hindrance. And it just felt like it slowed down my game. I think what I would definitely say, you know, just to close off on the subject because we're running out of time, is if you enjoyed Arnak, this is definitely an expansion you want to pick up. It's just more content and more adding a little bit of complexity, so making it fun for those, uh, you know, who feel like they've brought it to the table a lot. It uh, for me, it's a definite must-have if you enjoyed Arnak. No, absolutely, you need to have this expansion if you have the game. The cards alone make it worthwhile. The track, as we said, adds more variety. And I like the fact that the expedition leaders are easily included and easily excluded because you may be playing with people that you don't want to throw that at them right away so you can get a nice four-player game and still enjoy all of the other new content because it's not that much more complicated. But on that note, you've heard our thoughts. Uh, our review of Lost Ruins of Arnak expedition leaders will be coming out the day after this is released. And on that note, we're going to remind you to keep, keep playing, playing games. games. Hello everybody, it's Rob and Anna Marie from the Meeple Dungeon. Hello! And we are back again recording for the What You've Been Playing Wednesdays podcast. This week we have one game to talk about. What game is that, Anna Marie? It's a bit of a mouthful, uh, pun intended. It is Buried Treasure. Now this game is uh, it's from Restoration Games and Eagle Griffin Games. So this is where I'm going to be talking a little bit. So uh, Game Restoration 
was done by Rob Davio, Brian Neff, Noah Cohen, and Justin D. Jacobson. Um, the des- original design was by Sid Saxon. Um, the illustrations are by Heather Vaughn, but the visual restoration wizard was Jason Taylor. So um, I wanted to dive into this just a little bit because I thought right. it was really interesting. Um, so restoration game. So this has been re-implemented. Yep. So originally... Uh, it was done by Sid Saxon with the title High Spirits with Calvin and the Colonel. And that was... That was the name of the game? That was the name of the game. And that <laughs> I like was that name. I was in 19... 19- High Spirits and what? High Spirits with Calvin and the Colonel. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, it was actually was published in 1962. And it was based on an animated TV show with the same name. Oh. So well, I've never heard of that show. Um, but I kind of want to go watch it. <laughs> but... Um, this game has been re-implemented a gazillion times. Yeah, it looks that way. Yeah. By a gazillion, I'm going to tell you of like two of them. Um, it then went. Um, it went to the next one is buried or buried treasure. Yes. So that was like a pirate theme game where you're trying to get loot of different color and yeah, which things is, like this that. This one is directly based on that, right? Which is directly based on the original. Yeah. yeah. And and then this one, um, Buried Treasure, um, is all about some friendly rascal uh, yeah. rodents who want to get their paws into some pies. It's, yeah, it's buried as in the berries, berries that Fruit. are in the pies. Yes. Um, so, yeah, this one is, yeah, it's you are basically a bunch of critters like raccoons and mice and things, and you're trying to steal... You get, find um, your way into a bakery, and you're yeah, trying to swipe trying to all the gooey goods. Swipe the pies the off goodies. the top of the table. So the way this game works is you have a deck of cards. That's really it, and some counters just for counting. But it's a deck of cards, and you're going to lay out these deck, uh, this deck of cards in four rows. Uh, one that'll have four cards, one that'll or two that'll have five cards, and one that'll have six cards. And every turn, you're going to be taking from the top of one of these four piles. These cards are all goodies. So you've got like chocolate cake, I would say le- lemon custard maybe, and yeah. blueberry, um, blueberry pie, and I don't and know, maybe a cupcake or something. Oh, it was raspberry? Oh. Or strawberry or something. All good gooey but treats. But yeah, the four different colors, the, the blue, yellow. Uh, pink and brown. Browny, blacky, yeah, like chocolatey, Chocolate. and pink. And you're going to be collecting these. Uh, cards by the suit and every round there's going every suit is going to be worth a different amount of points so whoever has the most amount of a certain suit at the end of the turn is going to get x amount of points and those are all um you get told that by cards there are some scoring cards there's four four different ones yeah four scoring cards and you're going to use three of them in a game yeah so you'll never know exactly which three of the four scoring cards you're going to get. Mm-hmm. So as you're, as you're drafting these cards basically off the top of these piles um, on my turn, then your turn, and back and forth, um, we're just going to be collecting these cards. But then some of them make you do different things. Um, one that says more on it, it makes you grab <laughs> more. that card <laughs> and then you can grab another card of the same color mm-hmm. as long as it's on top of one of the piles. Right. You can't dig out from underneath. Right. Um, so you have to use strategy there to make sure that by the time you take that card, that there is another card of that type available for you to pull. And then they have cards that have cute little paws on them. They're like raccoon paws. There's one, two, or three paws. Yeah. And if you take one of those, let's say I took a yellow with two paws on it, I take that card and I get to steal two from my opponent's deck. Yes. You can just straight up steal any, any two color. Cards. Doesn't have to be the yep. same one. So you work your way through the four piles that way, and then you 
uh, calculate up at the end of that round who has the most of each color and then depending on what scoring card you have you're going to get x amount of points and they have first second third fourth like or first second third first, for second, points. third i think yeah. yeah um and uh then you're going to uh put out more cards to lay out the same amount the, the four the five the five and the six from the deck you can do this three times and that's exactly how many cards are in the deck yep so you'll do this for three straight rounds. And Every round flipping over a new scoring card. Yeah, a different scoring card for each round. And most points at the end wins. And you're simply just trying to use, you know, timing, right? Yep. And strategy on when and where you're going to take certain cards. So if I want to steal cards, I'm going to pull that card with the two paws on it. But if there's a card with three paws underneath that one, I might leave that one alone. So Hoping that, that I will pull it so then he gets the three pod exactly. card. Yeah. And so you're kind of uncovering different cards as, you, as you're as you drafting them off the top of these pods. It's a really fun little game. It's oh, yeah. quick. It only takes, what did it say on the box? It says 10 to 20 minutes. That's bang on. I would yeah. say it's a, about 10, 15 yeah. at kind of max. But Absolutely. I played this with four players before, um, before we got it. Um, and it was a lot of fun that way. And then we played with two players. So this game actually has a two-player Yes, variant, I was going to say that, yeah. Which is roughly the same game, mm-hmm. but you can yeah. only pull from your side of the stack. Because it's not stacked the same way. It's stacked kind of in a, um, a diamond. Like a diamond. Yeah, it's almost like you're setting up that one type of solitaire. We've got one card, then two cards, then three cards. Yeah. I think it goes one, two, three, four, three, two, one. Yeah, and they're or something not like even that. stacked on top of each other. They're just no, laid they're out. No, they're just laid out. And so you, you can, can see only... the whole... Pull All from cards. your side of the table, and I can only pull from my side of the table. And I didn't like that as much as the other version because mm-hmm. what I found is that when that gets laid out, it can be very one sided. Yes. Where, like you'd say, your side of the table has the bulk of all the paws for the round. I liked that version, but I think maybe I was just money bags, paws yeah, over here on you this were side. Slaying me because you could just steal everything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I didn't think I, that worked that well. I did like it. I really liked actually that feel for a two player game. I agree with you. I don't know how to fix that with having like the one side being heavy paw balanced, like it was or imbalanced. Yeah. But I did like the way that played um it was a neat different take on it i just wish that that uh yeah it's too bad that that's there it just didn't if it's totally laid out at random and you can end up with all the power on your side yeah or vice versa so i just i don't know i like the i like digging through the piles so that you can see what's coming up you kicked my butt so maybe that's why i don't like it as much (laughs) yeah probably (laughs) i just like i don't know i like the strategy of this side or or of the uh the the piles uh better in the four different rows but no, the game is really good. I um, like it. It's fun. Yeah. It's quick. It's fun. It's easy. You can play this with anybody, anywhere, really. It is just a deck of cards. It comes in a, well, I don't know. It's probably like a 8x8 eight eight kind of little yeah. box. Uh, it's just a deck of cards. It's a fun, family-friendly family game. You can Kids are easy to pick this up. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, funny. In, in the rule book, it says if, uh, if your name is Suzanne Sheldon, you get to go first because it's like her... Her and pies are a big oh. deal. She works for Restoration Games. She's you know from the Dice Tower. Okay, <laughs> um, but yeah, she's got a, a thing for pies. Nice. And, uh, yeah, it's just funny that that's in there. If your name is Suzanne Sheldon, you get to go first. <laughs> but no, it's a cool game. I liked it. So me too. Uh, we got to run. We will see you next week. Cheers. See ya.
Hey everybody, this is Norm from the Cardboard Conjecture Podcast and Bridge City Board Gamers here in Saskatoon. And let's go to the Facebook page of the Bridge City Board Gamers community and see what they've been playing this Wednesday. So, uh, Jason, we played Paladins of the West Kingdom, Era, Medieval Age, Quicks, and Potion Explosion this week. Uh, Paladins of the West Kingdom, fantastic. Uh, I, I just recently picked up Bicounts, and it's, uh, I'm looking right at it on the table right now. And uh, yeah, I, I love that series. Uh, Paladins, to me, is probably the, the most crunchiest Euro of the three. But Viscounts, I'm having some, I'm having some good experiences with it. So yeah, and Quicks, I, the, myself and the family included, that's such a fun uh, roll and write, and uh, it's so so streamlined, very simple rule set, and uh, many ways to play that game. As far as like you know, to win, and I don't win that often. So moving on, Ryan, uh, my kids fell in love with Five Minute Dragon. And so let's see, he put a screenshot of stuff. Oh, yeah. Five Minutes Dragon is the most played. And uh, Origins First Builders and Fantastic Factories. Cool. Cool. The, that Five Minute series is so interesting. The way that, uh, the way that it's, it, it plays um, tight and fast and repeat plays. It's just like cotton candy. Um, Jonathan, Nova Luna, Watergate, and Bonanza. Uh, I, I own Watergate and Bonanza, and those are two spectacular games. Nova Luna, I've, I've not played it. It's on my want-to-play list, but yeah, those are great games. Watergate is such a fun two-player game of this push-pull tactic using the, uh, the card-driven system developed by, oh, I don't know developed, but I'm familiar with it from GMT and, and the Twilight uh, Struggle, uh, Churchill, a lot of the, it, it's that idea of points and events and related to who uh, has the tactical advantage using that card. So it's so much fun to introduce you into that heavier kind of, uh, hist not historical game, but, but that, it's a nice step into the GMT if you like that stuff. Uh, moving on, Travis, Paladins of the West Kingdom for the first time. Thought it was a very fun game. Lots of AP for me, which is unusual, but there are so many directions you can go early and putting one paladin on the bottom of your stack just hurts every time. Would definitely try again. Also played another game of Trismegistus. I said it right, yay me. Um, still meh on this. Some turns take too long because of too much comboing. Also played crib. Well, paladins, yeah, I've, I hear you on the AP. There's a lot of uh, processing all the different paths and and trying to synergistically connect it with your options and your resources and just describing it i'm going into an ap lockup <laughs> so yeah uh trismegistus i've never played uh i think it's just because i'm intimidated by the name <laughs> uh, crib I, I i remember learning crib in elementary school and it was the it's one of my favorite uh sequential counting games it's, it's just like there's a rhythm to it. There's a, there's a, there's a beat. Uh, Eli, Tapestry, Townsfolk Tussle, and Smash Up. You know, Townsfolk Tussle, I believe earlier that Chad from Of Dyson Men uh, talked about it. So if you're interested, good kind of back this up a bit 
and go check that out because uh, I've, right away there was a comparison to a uh, uh, very loved dungeon diver. I'm just going to, don't no spoilers, just going to kind of plant the seed there. Hands, Terraforming Mars, Lost Runes of Arnak, Cryo, Azul, um, Wingspan, and Welcome to the Moon. Yeah, well, you know, Terraforming Mars, we should just put that like in a gold seal. Doop, right? Um, Lost Runes of Arnak, that's, that's a great game. I love that game. I have it. It's on, on it's, if you've never played it before, it's on Board Game Arena. So give that a try there. Um, yeah, Wingspan, great engine builder. Welcome to the Moon is the, is the second uh, uh, edition. I don't know what to call it, edition, but Welcome to was the first one. And it's this neighborhood builder. And Welcome to the Moon, it, it's, it, they take that uh, flip and write. It's just a deck of cards and you flip and you pick which one you want. And you put it on your board, kind of like roll and writes. And uh, they have a very cool system, so I'm, I want to check that out too. Um, moving down the list, Jeff. Lots of Marvel champions, Arnak, Cryo, and the Magic Labyrinth. Uh, lots of Marvel cha champions, nothing wrong with that. That's a, that's a great uh, game system. And if you like the game system there, then Sideways is... Uh, Arkham Horror, the card game, and then the other sideways is Lord of the Rings, the card game. And they share the same DNA, but they have their own uh, variable twist to them. So depending on your IP, there's a card game for you. Joel, lots of Wordle. Well, I don't know if Wordle's a board game, but we'll let that pass. <laughs> Brian, Sleeping Gods, I want to play that game. Uh, Harry Potter Hogwarts Battle, that's fun. Patchwork, Love, Button Economy, and Sagrada. Sagrada is Sudoku with dice. And uh, Sudoku breaks my head. <laughs> but Sagrada does not. Sagrada is a great game. Uh, and if you want to take that next thematic step, then, then role player is that Sagrada-esque kind of mechanism game style system with a theme on it. So there you go. Scott has played, had, here we go, had an awesome session of D&D last Thursday in which our DM uh, tied aspects of the campaign into my character's backstory. Just incredible and emotional for both me and my character. Yay! Awesome! Another RPG-er. Um, and funny enough, that's Thursday is uh, when I DM my my regular group and then uh i i'm i'm happy we got to get this going again but i'm happy to say that i also dm uh the the family of a board on the air the stevensons and uh they've been busy with skating and other um kind of uh, things they're involved in but i can't wait till we get back on our campaign tyranny of dragons um yes yeah, scott right on right on welcome to the uh, uh, the world of collaborative storytelling. Uh, and here's a cool part is uh, this next coming episode of Cardboard Conjecture, I had the pleasure and privilege and opportunity to talk to Eric Jensen and Phaedra L. Casey, who are uh, podcast hosts of Bard Quest Empire. But more specifically, um, the, the podcast that they're invited to is of the theme or the working title right now is Game of Storytelling. And they're both actors. They're both writers. They're both work in the theater. And they've they've uh, um, 
acted on, 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 on TV, on film. And we basically went Malcolm Gladwell on the idea of storytelling and its implications and necessities in our lives and our, and our hobbies. So, yeah, I hope, that, uh, I hope that's interesting because I had so much fun. Um, Garth. A little bit of a tangent there. Uh, Garth got the two promos for Rolling Realms. Great additions that add a little more variety to each game. Played Black Angel a couple times. Taught it to my son and he loved it. <laughs> Beating me might have helped. <laughs> uh, I know this game doesn't have a lot of love, but um, I don't know why. The rules are a little fiddly at first, but I love the look of the puzzle of having three Interrelated games in one is really cool. Did I mention? I love the look of the game. I agree with everything you've said about Black Angel. Um, Xavier Georges is one of my favorite designers, and this is sort of like taking the uh, the, in, the dice engine system from Trois and applying it to this uh, thematic element. And I love how... They use the tiles to progress traveling through space. I thought that was very clever and how the everything kind of moves along and it also being part of the, the chronology of the game. And uh, yeah, yay, yay, speak proud, hype that game up. That's an awesome game. Uh, Marianne played, I'm looking up here. Uh, this looks like, there's no, there's no info, but it looks like a Western styled card game. I'm gonna see if I can peek a little closer here. No, but it looks cool. It looks fun. Rebecca played Renature, Sagrada, and Splendor. Cool. The Renature, I've heard so much about it. I think that's the one with the bingo system. And uh, yeah, Sagrada mentioned. And Splendor. Um, <laughs> I, I, Splendor's, a, Splendor's a great engine builder as a machine. <laughs> it's it's uh, Now again, I, I, I mean, it's just like me commenting on how Feld has very thin theme. This has about the same same thinness of theme as a Feld game, but uh, it didn't it didn't it it didn't scratch the itch in my brain. But oh, there's a lot of people who who go all beautiful mind on this games, and uh, yeah, maybe that's why because I kept I keep getting destroyed when I play this game. So yeah, maybe it's maybe it's just me. <laughs> well, that's what the community's been playing. I'll just quickly uh, mention that last um, uh, Wednesday night. In the gamer's garage, we played Dune Imperium, and uh, th I love that game. I love the theme. I, I yet to see the movie. I can't wait to see the movie. Um, the it's that uh, like Arnak, but completely unlike Arnak. It has a fusion of worker placement and and uh, card deck building. So, um, yeah, we played four player. I love the solo. Um, the solo's great. It's a it's a little kind of chaotic in the way the the AI does makes their choices and so on and so forth. But uh, it, in four player, I was just as confused as what people were doing. So I was in my <laughs> I was in my lane. Um, I got destroyed on that game, and uh, I, you know what? Mostly attributed to me not making the optimum uh, uh, purchases in the market or not having the right. Uh, sequence to get to what I needed because I was always just one little inch behind everybody and uh, that's not a that's not a game where you want to be a little bit behind everybody because it's a race so yeah uh, and and here's here's a testament to that game even though 
I sucked. Uh, I still want to play immediately because that's that game is just uh, driven for me. And uh, so, yeah, that was my little uh, my little what you've been playing Wednesday. Um, thank you so much to the content creators that uh, contributed to this episode. Thank you so much to you for listening and taking the time to hear what we have to say about the games we've been playing. And of course, can't finish the episode without saying, keep your stick on the ice and take care out there, eh?